Thank you. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bow down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. Knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that, they, that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were so old and vast and aged, it had to be ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old, and my husband is old, shall I be fruitful? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Yes, you did laugh. Let mutual affection continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves are being tortured. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Leonard Sweet, um, great writer, places this intro uh, into every book he writes. And it goes something like this. I've added a few words, tried to get a little Dave Orendorf in there too. But uh, every book I write, every sermon I preach, is a rock 
thrown into the water. I heave and trust heaven, hoping that God will create a wave of loving kindness and truth, a wave that rolls on and on, reaching out to the ends of the earth, deep into the spirit of humanity. I am here because of the waves from rocks hurled in the ocean by my ancestors who go back to the beginning of time, folks like Abraham and Sarah, Esther, Jesus, Mary, Paul, Peter, Lydia, Martin Luther, John and Charles. Some of these folks I know and celebrate and others I will only know in eternity. Today I pray that these words I speak and write will make a difference. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words we speak this morning come from the heart of your loving kindness and create a wave of beauty and truth and goodness that will bring about your making everything new that kingdom. Amen. I have been a part of growing churches for over 35 years now. And I have come to a conclusion that we, the church, have made a fundamental mistake in our being, in our understanding of the faith. We've been too, what I call, tablet-centered. We've focused all of our energies on the book, on the Torah, on the words. We've defined ourselves as the people of the word, of the tablet. But in the end, our communities aren't built only on the word. The heart and soul of who we have been built is instead on the table. It's the table that forms and shapes us. It's the table that Jesus used. Read the book. Read the Gospels. It's the table more than any other instrument that Jesus used to call his people together and form and shape them. In the end, it wasn't Jesus' Bible or tablet that got him killed. It was the way in which he did table. Radical hospitality. One of my dear friends is Steve Miller, and he's a UCC pastor. He used to be in Vermilion, South Dakota when I was there. And Steve loved table theology. He understood that what made the Jewish faith and the Christian faith foundational was this found, profound belief in hospitality, doing table theology where you were. In fact... Steve was so convinced of this that in one of his churches, he did something that almost got him moved. I think it actually did. <laughs> he moved the table that was at the, that time way up to the front, right up against the back wall. Do you remember those tables way back there? You remember that? There used to be like a curtain first, and then right there was this great big table. It was, wasn't even called a table. It was called an altar. And... Uh, and I just have a little side note. By the way, on that altar, do you remember what was on it? There was usually two gold candles, right? 
And then there was maybe a gold cross, never a rugged cross. It was always a gold cross. And then a great big Bible. Huge, huge Bible. And I remember, just as a side note here, I remember being a kid. I think I must have been about six because I had just learned how to read a little bit. And I remember sneaking into the sanctuary because children weren't supposed to go into the sanctuary all by themselves. And so I snuck in there and I got up to that table, right? And all that gold stuff there. And I saw that great big Bible. And there were some cool pictures in that Bible. And I wanted to read it, but I wasn't tall enough to really see it all. So I pulled on that Bible. And I pulled it to the edge. And boom! It crashed and landed on my foot. I started crying. And I didn't just start crying because of that, because I also noticed, uh uh-oh, one of the pages ripped. Anyway, my Sunday school superintendent, not like our wonderful teachers in Sunday school, she heard me. And she came running into the into the church, into the sanctuary, and she was really upset. She wasn't worried about my toe. She was mad about that Bible, that it was torn. So the next Sunday school we had, I was placed right up front, you know, of the big assembly, and she went on and on about how kids weren't supposed to go into that sanctuary without adult supervision and do not ever touch that table, that altar. She didn't even notice that my toe was wrapped up and had been broken. Anyway, back to Steve. Steve so believed in a church of the table that one Saturday afternoon he decided he was going to move that big baby. And he moved it from the very front right smack in the middle of the sanctuary. And he believed also in this idea of um, beg forgive, better to beg forgiveness than to, uh, you know, ask for permission. And uh, so that next day, Sunday, the place was a murmur about where in the world did he get the gall to move our altar to the center of the whole place. People were furious. In fact, there was a special meeting of the Staff Parish Relations Committee. I've never been a part of one of those where there's a special meeting and they all gathered. And when Steve walked into the room, he thought it was a trial. It felt like one. And he was up on trial. In the end, though, Steve was a a master negotiator. (laughs) And he convinced them all to give it a try. Come on, let's just give it a try. And for six years, he held court on that table being right here. And then he left, and two years later, he came back for the 100th anniversary, and the table was right back up there, right back up there, back to being an altar. Um, Unfortunately, that has been kind of the plight of Christianity over the years, in my belief. We've become so tablet-oriented that we've lost the idea and the gift of table. 
of hospitality, of the relational gift of what it means to be a people called together to be a table. Leonard Sweet, in one of his books, From Tablet to Table, says it this way. It's kind of a long quote. Hang with me. Given that our culture's primal, primary language of identity is narrafor, that's a new word, he loves new words, he, he made that one up, a story made with metaphors that helps us understand the world, ourselves, and God better, our families and churches ought to be flourishing. But something is missing from our lives, something that nourishes us with the narrafors that build our identity and stabilize our relationships. We know that families are defined by the stories they generate, by the stories they remember together over and over again. Christian families are defined by the story of Jesus and God's relationship to humanity through history. And the story of our identity as a Christian people is relayed through the narrow we tell ourselves, our children and our grandchildren, around the table, table, generation after generation. Narrow are our table talk. But modern Christianity has become more modern than Christian. Having sold out to a fast-paced, word-based, verse-backed, principle-driven template for truth. A handy little tablet of rules and regulations. The thing is, truth is not a template, he would shout. Truth is a person, a relationship, and our relationship with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life happens when narrow are passed around the table. Stories build or identify as a person and as a people. In 21st century lingo, they are the food, our hardware, if you will. And the server, the platform, is the table. The story of Christianity didn't take shape behind pulpits and on altars or in books. No, the story of Christianity takes place around tables. As people face one another as equals, telling stories, sharing memories, enjoying food with one another, we need to get back to the table. And by the way, families, how often do you eat around the table? I don't know about you, but we eat around a particular tablet a whole heck of a lot, (laughs) right? That's not table. We need to kind of encourage you to think about getting back to that. Find a way, even couples sitting across from each other. Think about it. We've always, at the heart of our existence, been table-oriented. Chris Aker, if you know him, he didn't just pop up from the ground making amazing meals and inviting people to join him on a feast, which is one of the things Chris loves. He was formed and shaped by our story, by the story of Sarah and Abraham, by the story of Jesus, by the story of a people who were called to be hospitable first. Look at the story in the book of Genesis. This is our story. Abraham is sitting outside his tent enjoying the sun. And God comes by. Wait a minute, it's not God. It's three strangers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in Israel today and I saw three strangers coming by, I think I'd jump inside my tent and zip it shut. Right? 
But Abraham is one of these crazy people who believe in hospitality. Look at what he does. He runs out from his tent and bows before them. And then what does he do? He offers them water so they can wash their feet and rest under a tree. And then what does he do? He runs into the tent, of course, and tells Sarah, Hey, Sarah, can you make a meal for us? <laughs> Boy, I bet that went over well. And what does Sarah and Abraham do? They go get some grain and they grind it into flour. Now listen, we don't understand all of this, but there were, they made three sayas worth. A sayah, from what my understanding of the Bible anyway, is 18 pounds of flour. So three bags of 18 pounds of flour. This is not going to be a little feast. I mean, this is a feast, right? And they don't just make up some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and send them on their way. No, no, no. They kill the fatted calf. They put on a feast for these three strangers. They feed them as if they were angels. And they don't even know who they are. Hospitality, you see, is in our genes. This is who we are. We are a people of the table. In the letter to the Hebrews that Jim read, um, the writer alludes to this moment in his or her heritage when she writes this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it table is the very center of our ancestors' home. In fact, we followers of Jesus might want to take a good look at Jesus and his ministry. And what defined his ministry more than anything else? Jesus was always fighting with Pharisees, right? They just didn't get along. Why? Because Jesus believed in a radical understanding of table of hospitality. Instead, uh, indeed, if you're going to define Jesus' ministry in one sentence, you might define it this way. Jesus eating great food with bad people. (laughs) With outcasts, tax collectors, those who are discarded and thrown away. That's what Jesus did. He took Abraham and Sarah's understanding of the table and he just unleashed it to the world. And the Pharisees, they clung to the tablet, the book. It's got to be in the book. Listen to what Leonard Sweet says in in his book about this. Food is the building block of our Christian faith. Potlucks are a good thing. We are part of a gourmet gospel that defines itself in terms of food and table. Yet we find ourselves at a juncture in history where we have lost the table and reduced our food to non-foods. Instead of setting another plate at the table and passing the food, we pass another program, pass another resolution, United Methodist Church, pass another law. The Pharisee lived by laws, rules, exclusions. Jesus showed us how to live by love, grace, inclusion. And what we know happens, don't we, 
in our world. We know how it goes when we live in a world filled by tablets, by tablet people, and not by table people. When the world's dominated by people who have to make their point that their truth is the only truth, and your truth is nowhere to be considered. When tablet takes precedence over table. Cindy and I remember, and maybe you do too, the book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Do you remember that book? My sisters hid that thing, but I found it and read it. (laughs) Well, they made it into a movie recently. Um, And it's a beautiful movie. You should really see it. It's, It's a beautiful movie. Really good. I just highly recommend it. But in the movie, Margaret, who has a Jewish dad and a Christian mom, is put in this tough place between two parties who have been invited to their table. Grandma, Jewish, and Grandma and Grandpa, Christian. And let's watch. And as we watch, it is painful, just warning you. to braid your mom's hair when she was a little girl. Did your mom ever braid your hair? Um, yeah, she used to do it all oh, the time. I can see she taught you how to braid with your bracelet. Yeah. Oh, there's just so much we want to get to know about you, Margaret. Twelve years is a lot to catch up on. Yeah, long time. So, uh, we were wondering, do you go to Sunday school? Or, uh, have you ever thought about it? Uh, no, never. Not once. We asked Margaret the question, Sylvia. Margaret? Well, you're wasting your time because Margaret went to temple and she's Jewish. What did you say? Excuse me. Margaret went to temple. Okay, Mom, you're done. Okay, that's it. Well, you left the room and they're trying to convert her. Well, Margaret has a right to be baptized if she wants to be. Baptized? If she wants to be. I can't believe this. I can't believe you're doing this. All right, everyone. This discussion is over. We're her parents, and this discussion is over. Yeah, you're right. It's over. Because she's already Jewish. Sylvia! Well, in our eyes, she's Christian. No, no! Margaret is nothing! Margaret is, 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 is not Jewish or Christian. She is no religion until she decides. Well, how can she be Jewish if her mother is Christian? Stop! Okay, you were never on. there for her. What's the matter? Do you Stop. think that we wanted this? Have you forgotten we stole our family away? Stop that! All of you, just stop it. I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's all just so stupid. Religion. Just stop fighting. I, I don't want a religion. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Margaret. I don't even believe in God. And if you don't think that plays out in our world today, it does. That's what's happening. What happens when we only talk from our tablets, from our rules, from our belief systems? When tablet gets totally divorced from table, from God's demand that we live out our hospitality first, foremost. This week, uh, we're moving into finishing the second part of our neighboring series, and it is here that we're asking you to consider to be like Abraham and Sarah, living out the table of Jesus, living out the call 
to be radical in our hospitality. We're asking you to think about inviting someone into your house to have dinner with them. To offer the great gift central to our story, hospitality, to somebody else. Now, Cindy and I have been praying about this, talking about this, arguing about this, wrestling about this, uh, whether to even do it, right? It's hard. She has a co-worker at Premira where she works that we both think might be someone we might click with. And so we're putting our pencils and our hearts and our prayers together to get the courage up to actually doing this. Give us a year, we might do it. No, we're going to get there. So I'm asking you, how about you? Is there someone you might risk to invite into your home? Sit around the table. To help you out with this, we're, again, offering some help by the sign-up. And with your permission, we'll, we'll connect you at least with somebody from the church, right? And we can try that. Um, and then, uh, again, in Advent, we'll try to broaden that out. We're going to practice who we are. That we are a people of the table. And I want to just leave you with one more story. It's a great story, I hope it will be something of meaning to you. The king of Scotland, it is said, invited a local warlord to a banquet he was having at one of his castles. And the king wasn't getting along with this warlord who went by the title Lord of the Isles. I think that's why they did not get along. Um, to showcase his sovereignty, the king seated him, this warlord, at one of the lowest places, far from the king's table. And during the meal, the king sent one of his servants to check and make sure that the Lord of the Isles knew that he was in one of the lowly places. He wanted to show him his place. And the Lord of the Isles said to the servant, Go back to your king and tell him that wherever the Lord of the Isles sits, that is where the head of the table is. Hmm. Wherever Jesus sits, there is the head of the table. And wherever Jesus sits, he has saved you a place. When your best friend shuts the door in your face, Jesus pulls the chair out for you at his table. When everyone else leaves the room, Jesus places, saves a place for you at his table. When everybody fails you, Jesus takes you in at his table. When everything in life fails you, Jesus has reserved a special place at his table just for you. When your kids want nothing more to do with you, Jesus wants nothing more than to sit down with you at his table. When your employer wants nothing more to you, Jesus puts you at the head of his table. When your parents and grandparents are arguing about religion, Jesus says, stop and let us sit and eat together at the table of grace. Folks, the cool thing is, now we get to be a part of that table. We get to be a part of it and invite others to it. And all the people said, amen. Cassie has had more than an hour at this. She's been 
I gave it to her on Wednesday, and we've been working on it. There's a beautiful song called Come to the Table. And so we offer this as an offering. looking in this is where grace begins we were hungry we were thirsty with nothing left to give or oh, the shape that we were in just when all hope seemed lost love opened the door for us he said come Forgiven, all who've been labeled right or wrong to everyone. 